Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. Be okay, First Samuel 5 and 1. The Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod arose early in the morning, there was Dagon fallen on its face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and set it in its place again. And when they arose early the next morning, there was Dagon fallen on its face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. The head of Dagon and both the palms of its hands were broken off on the threshold. Only Dagon's torso was left of it. Therefore, neither the priests of Dagon nor any who come into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon and Ashdod to this day. God is not going to be mocked, is he? Now remember, in the last chapter, Israel had taken God as being limited in location. They're out there in this fight. We're losing. Somebody go get the ark. We need help. They didn't realize God's everywhere. Why do you got to go get the ark for? He's here if you would just call on his name, but they didn't. So they had their perception of God was he was very limited. Now Israel also thought that God had limited power. If we're out here fighting and we're losing, I guess we got to get the ark because God's power only has a 20 mile radius, I guess. Get it over here. Again, that was another problem they had with their perception of God. And so they were treating uh, God like a good luck charm. Well, now the Philistines carried the ark away. They're treating the ark like a trophy. Hey, we won. We have the ark now. It belongs to us. Trophy. Everybody's got this misunderstanding of who God is. Yes, the ark represented God's presence, but that's not the only place that God stayed. He's everywhere. And so both both the Philistines and the Israelites who just lost in battle, thousands of them got killed. They are about to learn that God is omnipresent, which means he's everywhere. They're about to learn that God is omnipotent, which means he has absolute unlimited power. A lot of people don't know that. They think, well, if he has unlimited absolute power, then how come bad things happen? Why didn't God just stop that bad thing from happening? What you're going to find out today is God is probably the one that made that bad thing happen. I don't believe that right. Well, you just follow me and I'll show you. But anyway, they're about to learn who the God of Israel is because either they don't know or they forgot. Now, the Philistines, they had a lot of false gods. Dagon was their chief god. He was the top dog. And they thought that Dagon was half man, half fish. Yeah, I know. I'm thinking the same thing too. I can see the look on your face. A lot of people think their God is half God, half dollar bill. 
you know, who are, you, who are we pointing at here? So half man, half fish, because they believe that man evolved from the same liquid soup mix that man came from with fish also that were all from the same stirring pot. So I guess that's why they, they believe that. In fact, uh, if you've read the story of Jonah, Dagon ties into the story of, Do, uh, of, of Jonah. Now, Dagon is not directly mentioned in the story of Jonah, but he ties in with the story because of the whale. The Ninevites that Jonah was sent to minister to, they believed in the fish head man Dagon. And so imagine what they would have thought when the guy that was sent to call them to repentance was transported there by a fish. What do you think that did to their mindset? You got here how? (laughs) A, a, A fish swallowed you and brought you here to tell us to repent? That showed them that even God had power over their little fish God, right? So you could say that Jonah really made a splash. Come on. (laughs) So here we are again with the Lord showing a misguided people that he is all powerful above the false gods they put in their lives and invent for themselves. You know, any false gods that you have in your life, you made them up. God didn't give it to you. Okay. And so the Philistines, they brought the ark like it was their trophy while the Israelites fell into despair thinking that God was gone. Guys, God's not gone. He's still around. But but to them with the ark being gone, they thought God was out of here, but they were in despair. Now, when the Philistines placed the ark by Dagon, what it means is they placed the ark at the feet of Dagon. And the reason they placed him at his feet was to indicate that Dagon had defeated the God of the Israelites. It was a position of superiority. Put the ark at Dagon's feet. Dagon is above the God of Israel. The positioning of the ark before Dagon was to try to send a message of superiority. God turned it back around the other way by doing some positioning of his own, didn't he? Did you see that? He caused Dagon to fall on his face. You know, when you fall on your face before the Lord God, that is a position of submission. Look what the Lord did. For a moment, for about less than a day, Dagon's better. But by morning, Dagon is bowed before the Lord God. And he's not even a real dude. God knocked him over somewhere in the night. Now, I can imagine being a Philistine here would think, okay... This doesn't really mean anything. Okay, Dagon just happened to fall over last night. Let's just set him right back up. This is only one scenario. Okay, just one thing happened. Don't let anybody see us do this, but let's put him back again in his position of superiority and everything will be okay. Now, I like how God caused Dagon to go down not just once, but twice. Did you catch that? Twice you can't deny it. You know, scripture says, let every matter be established by two or more witnesses. If somebody takes you to court and claims you killed somebody and it's just one guy saying you did it, there's not, you can't do a whole lot with that. But if you have two different people that don't know each other that are saying the same exact thing, well, now you've got two witnesses that establish, yeah, you really did something. Now you can establish a crime here because we got two witnesses. That's why God knocked him over twice. You, you, can, you can play off the first night of Dagon falling, but two times now, something's going on here. Dagon was pushed back into submission again, except this time he was broken into pieces. He was beheaded and his hands were broken off. What does that mean? 
God decapitated Dagon's head to show to the Philistines that there is no life in this false god. He's not real. I cut his head off to show you he's not, there's no life to him. And the fact that Dagon's hands were broken off was to show that this false god can do no works. This false god can't do anything by your hands. Hands are regarded as how you work with. God showed that this false god is powerless. You know, in, in many cultures, some of you probably know this. If you steal, if you rob, they'll cut your hands off because you steal with your hands. So what kind of message do you think this sent to the Philistines to find Dagon decapitated with his hands chopped off? It showed them that God is not going to tolerate a lifeless God that tries to steal his glory. God is not having it. And he cut the hands off to show them this and the head off to show them lifeless God who is not going to steal nothing from me. I am the God of Israel. A lot of imagery in there. And this scared the Philistines so bad. See, God's speaking their language. He's communicating to them. Scared them so bad, they did not dare even step into Dagon's house ever again. 1 Samuel 5 and 6. But the hand of the Lord was heavy on the people of Ashdod, and he ravaged them and struck them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. And when the men of Ashdod saw how it was, they said, The ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is harsh toward us and Dagon, our God. You see how they're still saying our God? They're still not letting this fish dude go. That's ignorance. His hand is harsh toward us and Dagon, our God. Therefore, they sent and gathered to themselves all the lords of the Philistines and said, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? And they answered, Let the ark of the God of Israel be carried away to Gath. So they carried the ark of the God of Israel away. So it was after they carried it away that the hand of the Lord was against the city with a very great destruction. And he struck the men of the city, both small and great, and tumors broke out on them. Well, this ain't the God I know. Well, that's why we're reading the Bible. You got to get to know who he says he is. But did you see that? I want you to see, you literally read, God gave people tumors. That's hard to swallow, isn't it? Well, Ray, my God would never do this. Well, friend, you, if you honestly believe that your God would never do this, then your God is just as false as Dagon is. I mean, let's get real. The God of the Bible does this. Now, if your first reaction was my God doesn't do this kind of thing, then I'd bet you a million bucks that you do not read your Bible. You've got to read the Bible. You've got to let God tell you who he says he is. If you don't read God's word, then you are left with inventing a God for yourself because you have no idea who the real God is. Now, everything that's going on in this book of 1 Samuel is about God showing himself to people who he is. The Israelites didn't really know him, nor do the Philistines. And that's why God's doing all this ravaging, as verse 6 calls it, so that they'll understand who God is. We have to discover who God says he is according to his word, not according to your finite and biased opinion. If you're not reading God's word, then there is no possible way that you can know who God is. 
And I had a Bible professor that said this when I was in college. If you don't study God's word, you do not love God. And my first reaction was, oh, come on, just because I don't read that. And then I got to thinking about it. I'm like, you know what? He's right. If I told you I love my wife, but I never spend any time with her, you, do you believe me? No, she ain't going to believe me either. Oh, I love you. I'm spending my time with other women tonight. I'm going out partying with them, but I still love you. Come on. If you don't give yourself to the one you love, they're not going to, it's, they don't buy it that you say you love them. If you don't read God's word, you don't love him. If you don't spend time with him, if you don't pursue to know who he is, I pursue to know who my wife is every day because I love her. You've got to know who God is. You need to pursue him. God has a certain character. He has certain traits and he gives certain commands. And if you don't know what they are, then you're headed for just as much trouble as these Philistines are in. You got to know who he says he is. And this is why we got to study the Bible. If you're in willful sin and you're not, not the slightest bit afraid of God for doing it, you're in big, big trouble. And that's most of America right now. I hate to say it. They don't know him. They don't study. They don't pray. Nothing. Well, I got this God and here's who I think he is. And that's who he is to me. And then they conduct themselves accordingly. And that's why we're in the mess we're in is they don't know him. Now, one of the main reasons why I don't fall back into my old sinful ways, first of all, because I've been saved and I've been changed by Jesus Christ, but also because I'm afraid what God will do to me for it. If I go back to my old sin, I'm literally scared of that because I know he'll put it to me. Now it says in verse six, that the hand of the Lord was heavy on these people. And you know what amazes me more than even this is that in verse seven, they saw this going on with their own eyes. Yet some of them said his harsh hand toward us and Dagon, our God. They still said our God, Dagon. It's like they still held their belief in a false God, which was broken to pieces. And it makes you ask, why? (laughs) Why would you do that? After seeing all this, and you still can't let go of Dagon. The Philistines' error that they had was that they thought they could control the God of Israel. And there's a lot of people doing that today. They think they can control God. God, I want this. I want to live this way. And God, you have to agree with me because that's what I want. No, God does not have to agree with you. You can't control God. They figured if they put the ark at Dagon's feet, then they win. Now they're thinking, get the ark out of here fast because we're in trouble and it'll make the chaos stop. So now they're still thinking they can control God. Well, we brought the ark in and now we're getting sick. So that means we can control God again. If we get the ark out of here, then we'll all be fine. Do you see how they're still wrong? We'll be fine if we just get the ark out. Not, they're not thinking, you know what? Maybe we should give up on Dagon and turn and change our lives according to him. They're not doing that. They're still saying, our God is Dagon. Get the ark out of here. We'll manipulate God off the map for us and then we'll be okay. And God's like, "Uh uh-uh, no, you're not. They're still wrong. (laughs) Because when they sent the ark away to Gath, it says the tumors also broke out on them. They're not making anything better. Sending the ark away did not change anything. It didn't help anything and it did not fix anything. 
God is omnipresent. He's omnipotent. God cannot be confined or controlled. And even the Israelites were wrong in the same way when they tried to get God to act for them by moving the ark into battle for their victory. And both the Israelites and the Philistines had preconceptions of who they thought God was. And both people groups were wrong. Ray, this is starting to scare me. Good. You need to know who he is so that you can get in line with his will. But if you don't know him and you invent a God for yourself and one that you can manipulate and you can control to suit your personal style, you're going to end up in trouble. So what should I do, Ray? You need to listen to the rest of this message, (laughs) right? (laughs) Friends, this is why we get together to study the Bible. That's what this is. You can't possibly come up with who God is in your mind. We have to see what he says he is. And that's why we do this. These people didn't want to repent. And guess what? It's not over yet. There's still more. 1 Samuel 6 and 10. Therefore, they sent the ark of God to Ekron. So it was as the ark of God came to Ekron that the the Ekronites cried out, saying, they have brought the ark of the God of Israel to us to kill us and our people. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it go back to its own place so that it does not kill us and our people. For there was a deadly destruction throughout all the city. The hand of God was very heavy there. And the men who did not die were stricken with the tumors and the cry of the city went up to heaven. This is wicked sick. They just can't seem to get rid of the terror that's coming from this ark. It's terrorizing and killing everywhere. The ark is killing, terrorizing, the Lord is. And those that aren't dead from it yet, they're crying so loud in panic and pain that the sound of their cry went up to the sky. God had judged this culture of people who had rejected him. Now, earlier... We saw the Israelites suffer defeat, but who really caused the defeat? They went to war with the Philistines, but who caused the defeat? Was it the Philistines that caused the defeat? No. The Lord brought that defeat. The Philistines did not beat Israel because they had a superior army. We've seen in the Bible before, Israel has fought in bigger, better armies than them and still won. So where did the defeat come from? It came from God. The Lord orchestrated all of it. But now we see that the, the Philistines suffered defeat under God's judgment now too. First it was the Israelites, now it's the Philistines. And why is that important? Why would God bring that to the Israelites first, his own people? There's a parallel that comes over to us that says in the, in the scripture, judgment begins in the house of God. You know how California is now saying that churches can't sing They're also trying to ban the Bible. They're trying to tell churches you can't meet anymore. Guys, judgment begins in the house of God. Why? Because the Christians ain't doing what they're supposed to be doing. We're not praying. We're not being repentant. We're not turning from our wickedness. We're following the false gods. God's going to start with us. I've seen that TV show about the yachts. You got this head yacht dude. He's the lead deck guy and he makes the deck hands under him do all the work. If one of his deckhands under him messes up, the captain doesn't jump on the guy that messed up. He jumps on the lead deckhand. Why? Because that'll scare him by the captain's authority to get stuff going right. 
So when it comes to this nation sinning like it is, the Lord God is going to come after us first. Why? Because we're supposed to be showing them how life is to be lived. And if we're not doing it, he's got to straighten us out first. Tough, isn't it? And so the Philistines tried to do what the Israelites did. They tried to manipulate God to fit their convenience by thinking that sending the ark now to Ekron was the way to stop the terror. But it didn't stop anything, did it? It made it worse. God is showing them that he is not containable and he cannot be manipulated. I know that all of you, at some point or another, somebody tried to boss you around and you said, you're not the boss of me. You can't manipulate me. Okay, then, who are we to tell God he has to jump when I say jump? God says, hey, you don't tell me what to do. And this is something that people are still trying to do with God today. They're trying to manipulate him. And it's amazing. Right now in 2020, we are in the COVID virus scare, and it is a worldwide pandemic. It's worldwide. It's not just in Texas. It's not in America. The whole globe is under this thing. Now, last week I showed you this. I'm going to show you again, 2 Chronicles 7, 13 through 14. He says, when I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence, which is disease or send disease pestilence among my people. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, you notice how we got to do something first, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Pestilence is disease, guys, and he'll heal the land if we do this. Has he healed the land yet? Then I guess we got something we got to do, don't we? God sends pestilence, and yes, you heard me right. God sends disease upon a culture to get his own people to humble, repent, and pray. And then he'll heal the land. It's kind of like somebody saying, I've got to get harsh to get my own wife to to stay in my house. Now, I've got a great wife. She stays in my house every night. We're always there. And I'm always there. But you know some people, they have a hard time getting their own spouse to come home. And the spouse is like, what do I have to do to get you to be with me? You're mine. You're not, you don't belong to them. And God is trying to do this to us saying, you don't belong to Satan. You belong to me. And if I got to do this to wake you up, I'll do it. Christians, if you call yourself one anyway, we're responsible to this heavy. This verse is calling it us. This was written for Israel. I get it. My people, that's Israel, specifically the Jews. But as a grafted in guy, I fall into this, okay? And and so do you who give yourself to the Lord. Now, I find it quite interesting that during the COVID virus global pandemic, after our governments have been trying for months of various attempts at getting rid of this virus, that we are right now studying in 1 Samuel 5 about a culture of people who were plagued by disease and they tried everything they could to come up with everything to get rid of it, every way except praying and repentance to God. You see the problem? Let's do this. Oh, that didn't work. Well, let's do that. Well, that didn't work. Well, let's try this now. And that didn't work. Anything but repent. We're just not going to do that. We have so many decrees coming out of the governor's office. I got, every week I got to read to see what they're allowed to, what I'm allowed to do or not. What we're supposed to do. They're trying this. They're trying that. Everything but repent, guys. You know why they're not repenting? Because the body of Christ is not repenting. The church, the people who say, I'm a Christian, they're the ones not doing what God 
wants us to do. And the world is never going to know until we start. All the more reason for us to repent and cry out to God and say, forgive me, I'm sorry. Thank you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.